Welcome to Conversations with Ask Ash. Conversations with Ask Ash focuses on people, processes, and outcomes. Ashley dives into everyday conversations around work efficiency, team productivity, and project execution. Let's get into the show. And now, your host, Ashley Schuler. Ashley Schuler. What's Ashley happening, Shuler. everyone? This is Ashley Schuler, your host of Conversations with Ask Ash. And if you've been listening to the past few episodes, we are in the communication season. Actually, it's called the Communication Breakdown, where we are exploring so many different topics, nuanced topics about how we're communicating every day, whether it's your clients, whether it's uh, communicating to brands, businesses, team members, and everyone in between. And so we're taking time out today to talk about a really important subject that I believe that just needs to have a bit more care and a bit more of uh, a specialized conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion and how we're communicating uh, with each other. Whether you are a brand, a business, whether you're in corporate, I believe that this is going to be an instrumental conversation that's going to change the way you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and at least begin that conversation with those that are around you. So I'm joined by a wonderful guest, somebody that I've just admired a lot in this space um, of leadership development, of coaching, and really has a great pulse on how to communicate really, really well, especially when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I have Mr. Jesse Ross. Jesse! What up, what up, what up? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to finally be here. Oh, this is great. This has been a long time in the making, but this is an important conversation to have. But before we get into um, all these things, I definitely want to go back. I always have to go back to origin story because people have to get an understanding of what it is that you produce and why you do what you do. But I'm always wondering too, okay, because we've met in the online spaces, Okay, so we've been in various spaces, we've been on calls, we've had our cameras off, we said hey to each other, you know, all these things have gone on. And, you know, one thing that is really interesting to me is this aspect of leadership development now, and I've seen you do trainings and things, I've, I've hopped on um, a couple of your trainings, which I've loved. Was that, was this the area that you've always wanted to be in? Was it always that you wanted to speak? Would you always wanted to... Like, cause some people, this is like, this has always been my jam. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, no, I would say no. I, I don't know if I knew what I wanted to do, if I'm honest. Mm. I think when I first started, it was purely, I knew, so I always wanted to work with young people. The reason why I wanted to work with young people, and I didn't want to be a teacher because I just felt restricted, uh, but I wanted to work with young people because I wanted to do things that were going to be continually evolving. And I just could not see another route. I would say as I got older and progressed and matured maybe a little bit, I found myself in positions where I was in leadership and I never asked to do it. But since I was there, I felt like I might as well do it right. Right. How do you talk to people? How do you care for people? How do you um, allow people the opportunity to grow, give them some 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 helpful tips and hints? But I didn't know. I was doing, I was going to be doing any of what I'm doing now and nor did I know what it looked like. I just, I was just doing stuff. That's all. <laughs> doing stuff and figuring it out along the way. But, you know, the beauty part of that is there, 
was motivation or there still is or motivation behind knowing that I want to do this and I want to be impactful, but it's also just getting really nuanced in what that looked like. So when you were figuring out how you wanted to, to go about that, what resources did you get plugged into? How did you kind of get that sort of, this is going to be it? One of the things that helped me figure out what it was, was I recognized like, what do I need? And most of the time, I think we we try to fill the need for somebody else. But I was very selfish in saying, like, there's something that I need. I was missing this. I'm missing this. I would like this to happen. And so I really just said, okay, well, since I know I'm not good at this or feel like I'm missing, you know, an opportunity to, to take charge or to listen to people, I just dove in. I read books about it. I uh, took trainings about it. And then you start getting in there and go, like, all right, man, this ain't as complicated as I thought it was. <laughs> These people just reading straight off the screen. And, and I think I started making things very practical. Uh, but for me, it was really like, what am I missing? Because selfishly, I felt like I just did not have a fair hand. I didn't feel like I had the resources that I could have used in order to help me get to, you know, a different place. No, that's really, that's really good. You, and you rarely hear that. Um, what what do I need? Because often it is, what can I solve for, right? Like, what can I, what, what is it, yeah. you know, yeah. outwardly? And I think that's good. And, and I think for myself, I, in recent months, I definitely leaned into, even if, you know, if we're, if we're going from a pen and paper perspective, going from, well, what is it that, that I really like? Versus like, what is it that is just like, it isn't thrilling. You know what I'm saying? You did the yeah. before. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think just being really simplistic about it and not feeling this guilt of like, oh, okay, if I minimize it to just two or three things, you know, what am I? What am I? What yeah, am I? I, th I, think I think the other part that's hard for people is not even just answering the question like, what do I need, uh, or even what do I want, right? But I think people skip to let me solve the problem. You know, what problem can you solve? Um, I think people are solving problems that don't need to be solved. Uh, one of my professors asked, he said, who's, what did he, ah, man, I forgot how he said it. He says, um, what's the question? Oh, he said, are you answering a question that nobody's asking? And I was and like, I was ooh. Like, like, if I'm answering a question that nobody's asking, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but maybe I should focus on the question that people are asking first, first. and then go, go deep. That's really good. And so what type of question or what were you, what, what did you end up solving for? What were you looking that led you to solving for? Yeah. So one of the things in my professional journey, I, so a little, little more background, right? I was always one of the only African-American folks, always the youngest or if not one of the youngest folks. And I also did not have a um, typical uh I would say college structure. I didn't do the four-year college. I went to five different colleges. It took me forever to figure it out. And so part of part of my journey, I always felt like I was an anomaly. And so it was less about, you know, what problem can I solve? I moved, and this is going to sound super cheesy, like how much value can I add? Yeah. Based on my limited experience, based on my passion for people, and then I ended up studying like organizational leadership. So once I started continuing to figure out those gaps that I had, 
I basically studied systems. I studied organizations. I studied how to break them down, how to make them work. It was like literally a, a hand in a glove. It was perfect because right? I always <laughs> loved serving. I always loved helping. And I always wanted to figure out how I could add value. So I think that was the question that I asked myself, like, how can I add value? Sometimes adding value was me just being there, being present and listening. And then I didn't realize that that was not uh, common. And then other times it was, you know, using my gift of making people laugh and using humor. And other times it was like, hey, we should do this thing that's radical and different because we keep doing the same thing and getting the same response. So it was it was a little of all of those, but it was probably more of like, how much value could I add or how could I add value? No, I like that. I like that a lot. And that does kind of dovetail into the question of, as you started to see that, formulate that, then you did you start getting into spaces that were we're requiring, you know, especially that systems, that organizational leadership and development. So then how, then how did you start navigating that space? Yeah. So this is where it turns a sharp, right. Uh, (laughs) I put put my foot in my mouth and I did it multiple times, not on purpose, but just because I think I was just quick and witty and didn't know, I didn't have a filter. Uh, I always ask people, you know, is this always the way we've done it? Most of the time they said, yeah. And I'd be like, well, what if we did it differently, right? And somehow that always resulted in, well, if you can do it better, show me. And so I took on the challenge. So people would ask me to step up or to create something or to do something different. And, you know, I, I didn't make major changes, but it had like to be, uh, it had to have flavor. It had to have a little spice to it. And so I just put myself in position to start doing it. That's really what it was. So when when there was a time to create a presentation, I got tired of seeing the same old presentation, same old formats. I wanted to incorporate a little humor. And so I would take the sides that they had, add a couple funny pictures, tell a couple stories, and then drive the point home. And people were like, that was great. And I didn't think it was anything major. <laughs> but it yeah. was me, right? And I think that that's what I've adopted is like, if I'm going to, even now, my church lets me, uh, they let me do the announcements and I don't know why because they keep giving me the microphone because I'll tell a joke. I'm not even a comedian. But it's something that can be corny or unique to me that I can personalize. And that's what I just started doing from the trainings, from uh, the presentations, from giving a speech. Uh, I don't really, you know, I never was great at memorizing stuff, but I'd have a couple notes. I'd tell a couple stories, forgot how to make it connect and hope that people, you know, walked away with the point. Oh, I love that. So taking something and basically remixing it where, you know, it was maybe something that they hadn't thought about. And maybe you're just bringing a, a perspective without almost rehauling everything. It was. Oh, like yeah. I'm not going to rehaul it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Some people like to do a rehaul. Yeah. They like, me. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. So even with, you know, you know, as you start diving into more of this world, you in particular provide training in the form of whether it's workshops, one-on-one coaching in the area of leadership development, and then also diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, Tell us about the world and then add on to that. Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think in the world we're in right now, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who are focused on creating 
trainings, creating learning experiences for people. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, just to give some context, uh, the world of diversity, equity, inclusion uh, is estimated in 2023 or 2024 to be a $15 billion comp- uh, industry. That was in 2027 billion dollars. And so just knowing like the trajectory of how things are moving, how things are growing, how things are expanding. Um, I have learned that there can be an oversaturation. So what I try to do is always remain true to my values, right? Um, and we might get to this later, but I'll just throw them up there now. My, my three core values, integrity, transparency, relationships. I want to be a person who does what I say I'm going to do, which is the integrity piece. I'm a very direct communicator. Um, uh, for folks that are not from the Midwest, most people from the Midwest are very passive aggressive. I am not. Uh, I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, relationships, right? I want to be a person who, uh, whether, you know, like you said, we met uh, online, right? And always had great conversation. I feel like people that I meet, whether it's online, whether it's offline, whether it's five minutes, five days, five years, like I want people to know that our time was valued. And so I try to create experiences, whether it is training, whether it is working, uh, speaking engagements, consulting opportunities, or just even in social media, I want to create experiences where people can learn, people can feel like they can be them their authentic selves, because that's just me. I say words, fresh, dope, word, whatever, white folks, all that. And um, not be judged, right? Just, you know, maybe you have a a different point of view and that can can sometimes be alarming or or, uh, troublesome. But I want to create spaces where people can just be themselves and they can learn and, and have something different than what the world has probably given them. So that's what I've basically been doing my entire life, um, picked up over the last two years. And I would say that people um, people have now wanted it, it. We're in a weird space now where after the murder of George Floyd, Amada Arbery, Sandra Bland, all these folks that were um, targeted uh, by, by folks that did not look like us the world finally woke up and then went into this oh my god we got to do something uh the world is not there anymore the world is in the like okay now things have calmed down we can go back to how things used to be but there is a small group of people who are saying hey there's something about that space and even before that time that we still need to get. And so I live in that small universe mm-hmm. of helping people move along the spectrum, building their cultural competency, um, recognizing they need to do more and they just don't know how, um, taking those half-baked ideas. And then one-on-one, just giving people an opportunity to get connected and living um, actually physically, virtually, whatever, in proximity to the things that they're most passionate about uh, versus just talking to talk but not actually walking it yeah that I, you said a few points that i think is is, is really good to touch on that you, pro- you probably even prior to uh 2020 and um you know george floyd and maude arbery you know in in those incidents you know the term diversity equity inclusion just a few words that come to mind like okay it's about age gender um race you know, disability, right? Could be because you yeah. you, know, you hear things about like EEO, like you know, you hear things yeah. about equal. So you hear about it, but then you're not, you know, especially like the little disclaimers, like mm-hmm. you know, or in the workplace, like yo, yeah, no, you can't discriminate against somebody, like yeah. you know, like and then just go about your business. But 
there's been an interesting, I would say, I don't know if you call it, a, if, if it's a reframing or just a, a interesting light that mm-hmm. now it's time that we pick apart each of those elements of that phrasing yeah, to better understand what that means. And because folks are now attempting or at least implementing, uh, you know, policies. But then yep. you don't know where to start. So Exactly. So, well, and one thing yeah, you said, ahead. let me interrupt real quick. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really important, and I love that you said it, the way that you described the first couple words, right? Diversity, disability, uh, mm-hmm. ethnicity, race. Yeah. Most people don't think about, they don't think those three words or four words right away. The top couple that people come up with mine, race, ethnicity, gender, and maybe class. Mm-hmm. And then they miss the whole skew of other diversity aspects, right? From yeah. abilities, from uh, languages spoken, geographic area, uh, vocation, religion, spirituality, all those different things. And so I love that you pointed out because I talk to people all the time. And usually when people think about those diversity dimensions, it's a few. And I'm like, yo, we're super complex human beings that we can't just skip over. Like, yo, and again, now what's topic and top of mind has been race, has been gender. And I'm not saying that those aren't important, but it goes so much deeper. And I, I, I have to spend most of my life trying to drive that home and helping people understand. Uh, and then you dive into, like you said, EDO and affirmative action and all those things. And it gets, it gets diluted and complicated. But I think it's important for people to listen to this and know um, just because people typically use certain terms and it's common language doesn't mean that you are limited to those terms or those words. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right because I was challenged on that thought, um, you know, like a year or so ago and just talking and just thinking, well, there is more, like you said, layers. There's more layers to people and even the things we can't see, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's important. But even with this question of we're building a team, we're formulating a team, uh, we already have a company in place, and then this thought comes, we need to change our policies. We need to change. So, but the question is, what exactly are we actually changing? Um, you know what I'm saying? This is the thinking, right? So, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, like if I need to change, what is it that I'm changing? And I, and I'm also, yeah, I want you to dive into that because I'm sure people are asking you in terms of some of those questions. All right, I'm ready to change. Yeah. Well, I'm going to answer it a little differently um, than you're probably expecting. So when we think about uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, there are a couple ways that I enter into the conversation. Um, and so for our listeners, for our this listeners, would just be a good kind of grounding, right? So one, diversity, you should think about the who that we count or what does difference look like? There's a mix, right? So there may be uh, a couple women, there may be a bunch of men, there might be uh, a couple people of color, a couple uh, majority white folks, it might be uh, someone who identifies as a physical disability, mental disability, like there's a mix that is diverse. And then inclusion is thinking about like, how does that mix work well together, right? So people use all these uh, terms and language around like dancing and all that stuff. I, I stay away from that. So we have a, a presence of difference and a mix. And then when inclusion is, how do we leverage the difference or the mix working well together? 
cultural competency would be like, how do we build skills to get better or to learn more? It's developmental, right? And then the equity, which I know the, the DEI um, or diversity, equity, inclusion, the equity part is the hardest part to get to, which is where those policies come in, right? So it's more a systemic outcome. And I try to help people understand the systemic outcome can't predetermine success based on numbers or who we want to count, right? So if we got a, di we got a, a difference or a mix, we can't say, well, I, because I got five of these and four of these and six of these and seven of those, now we get equity. It just don't work out like that. The, the, the policies and what we're actually trying to change or even get to is say, hey, based on us understanding and building competency or having goals, we want to make sure we create an opportunity for everybody to be successful and to succeed. And so here are some things that we cannot allow and that we're not going to continue to allow because historically they haven't helped a certain group or part of that mix. And then we want to say, in order to make things better, let's create different policies or practices that hopefully will lead us to those goals to help us have a better mix. And hopefully we can leverage that and help that work well to get those goals. It's, and so it's, it's, a, it's a different way of experiencing and explaining it the way that I do it, because I think sometimes it gets really wonky and really uh high level and i'm just like yo let's let's do some ged certification right here <laughs> <laughs> but i think that's important because there is a a bigness to it and a dauntingness of because you hear either tech companies we're going to donate x and that is doing the part that's diversity right, equity right. inclusion Okay, well, if they do this, oh, we're going to change the policy. We're, you know, so, therefore, somebody says to themselves, self, okay, now we got to do something right away. But I'm, I'm also learning as well that, all right, like you just held it up. You know, equity, we're, we're talking about the outcomes piece of it. We have the policies aspect of it. We're, we're, you know, we're looking at those factors. But then there's also, like, this aspect of even behavior and even yeah. our communication style, Right. And so yeah. I, I would love for you to talk a bit about, you know, what is it like in terms that, you know, what should we be identifying? What is it that, you know, how do we, when, especially if we're, you know, we're hiring, we're bringing people on, all those types of things. Like, you know, how is it that we can just better communicate or like, what do we need to be thinking about? These, that, that's the first question. Yeah. What do we need to be thinking about? Well, you know, in a perfect world, when it all works, and it, and it, it, it works the way that it's supposed to, we we gain a couple of things, right? So the first thing that I think we, we go to or would like to get to is like, we can attract and retain more diverse talent, right? And so that typically is more people of color, more women, um, more folks who don't identify as the majority culture. Um, I think underneath that, there should be some type of um, capacity built to have conversations and bridge cultural differences. If you have more of a mix present inside your companies, then hopefully there are opportunities to have conversations. I think the deeper part that we hopefully can get to, but typically is harder and takes longer, is developing um, what I would call greater comfort with self-identities. So when you think about all the dimensions of diversity that we were just mentioning, if I grew up in the city and somebody else grew up in rural country 
and their experience or exposure is completely different to mine, as we hang out and talk, hopefully we build relationship and we have a greater comfort with the opposite identity. That's like, that would be the hope. But it comes through spending time. It comes through having exposure to people that are different than us and also building like that vocabulary and um, doing the trainings and experiencing things together. And I think that that's really where we miss. We want to just put policy, well, I'm going to say we, the powers that be want to put policies together and say, we're going in this direction, but we forget that there are like, human beings that are still part of this organization (laughs) and they never did that before right so i always tell the the, the story and this is a serious story but it's funny i didn't grow up watching white movies like predominantly white actors i didn't know like brad pitt matt damon uh they all look the same to me right which i'm sure they did that to us too um i didn't know who the heck julia roberts was demi moore none of them folks but I can tell you every black actor or actress, right? And so even now, I'll be like, hey, who's that? <laughs> and my wife makes fun of me. Uh, and my wife is biracial, right? And so her mom watched all these, The Breakfast Club, and all this. I'm like, what? What is that? <laughs> but because now I've been with her for a really long time, right? We've been exposing each other to different cultures and what we grew up and what we like. Now I can go, oh, I recognize that actor, that actress. Oh, I have now more experience watching these movies that I didn't have growing up. And so I hope that as companies are putting these things together, right, it's not just to create a policy that, you know, we can tell people to shut up and leave us alone, (laughs) but it's really like, hey, we want to create an experience for people and expose them to something different, ultimately, which is rooted in us saying as a company, we want to be better. Um, And I would even say to double down on that, as people, we want to be better. That's good. And I like the fact that you brought up this aspect of spending time with one another and this aspect too of, because that proximity really helps people to understand one another the language, the behavior, the actions. Uh, there's a level of trust that's built from that. Yeah. And in your experience with, you know, working with clients on, on, on this and, you know, just your own experiences, you know, what has been probably the most sort of, you know, aha moments that people have had as they're sort of working their way, you know, through, all, through these types of things, yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I would say people don't actually realize how much time it takes to build that trust. So I think often we hear companies and people inside companies say, um, this is a safe space. And I always tell people, just because you say it's safe, don't make it safe. <laughs> right? It's true. It's very and, true. And um, in Stephen Covey's uh, The Speed of Trust, which is the longest book I ever read in my life, um, I don't recommend you go get it. You can just look up the diagram that I'm about to give you. <laughs> um, he talks about like when trust is low, it costs us more and it takes more time. And when trust is high, we can go faster and it costs us less. And so to your point, right, I think people miss that if you don't have trust, it's going to take a really long time to build that. And it might cost you. Like you might have to buy people lunch and 
I mean, not buy people out. That's definitely what I'm going to say. But like, you might want to take people out to lunch. You might want to create some spaces for people to be in the same space um, to experience some different uh, food and cultures and all that stuff. But the more you do it, the less time it takes, or I'm sorry, the more you do it and the more time you take to do those things intentionally, the trust level goes up. People start to learn more about each other. They start to recognize like, man, we're more alike than we are different for. Now I can discover more things about you, which makes me want to come back and do it again. Yeah, no, that that's, that's really good. Uh, the time that it takes, because we are in a world of popping the microwave, I can yes. do a click of the button, oh, I just need this session or workshop and then I'll be good to go. Then it's this, then we're, you're, when you peel back the layers, right, and it's probably a shock factor. Oh no, this is going to take time because you're learning people and, yep. you're, and you're learning behavior. Now, here's a, here's a thought that I have is setting the tone, especially for those that are have existing teams, right, and, and, and leaders, right? Does it always have to come from the top? I'm thinking it does to set yeah. the tone. But what if what if there are what if you have a leader that's just kind of like eh, I don't know how to I'm a little you know gets a little cagey right you you know yeah. how, how does that work? That's a great question. I think it's hard to you know know there's a one size fits all. I think I do think it is best when it comes from the top and when it comes from the leader. Um, but I do think there are some spaces where it doesn't have to, um, or it does it definitely doesn't have to start there. And so the intentionality that I think people can build within their smaller team versus the larger company, there's less red tape, there's yeah. less uh, checks and balances, and there's actually more influence because you've been working directly with those people. And so I would I actually encourage people, hey, start exactly where you are. If you've got a team of two, a team of five, a team of 20, do that because that's better than saying, hey, we're going to ship this whole hundred person, 56 person organization. <laughs> yeah. Because that also takes time, which is also what people underestimate. Yeah. No, that, that's that's really good. Starting small, starting where you where you are. So where exactly in terms of steps should people be taking, right? We're using basically what you have in your hands, but so is it start off with how does someone like lead that change? Yeah. Yeah. How do they do that? I think one of the best things to do is for people, what I call uh, self-cultural awareness. So for you to take a look at yourself and recognize um, where is your awareness at, right? Most people think that we are better along uh, along the journey, along the path than we really are. And so we come. sometimes we need to measure, right? Sometimes that can be an assessment. Sometimes that can be um, an opportunity to, 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 to watch something, to ask questions. I would say if you start with self first, then you can start recognizing, man, why didn't I see this? Why did I see this? Is it because of where I grew up? Is it because of the values of the people that were in my house? Um, did everybody in my neighborhood typically do this or my school? Uh, was I exposed to this at an early age or not? I think that that's actually the best place to start because you can't really change anybody. Now, I know we we all think we're, you know, <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like we we hope that we can change the whole world, but first, let's start changing yourself. And that's so that's why I always tell people like start with yourself, start paying attention um, to what things that excite you, what gets on your nerve, what what questions do you have, 
Um, what are things that you're really, really uncomfortable or unsure of? Why? Right? Is it because people talked about it all the time? Is it because you never talked about it and the first time somebody asked you a question, you felt pressure to have an answer? That will tell people a lot about themselves. And then you start going to the other people. So if I were to kind of give this in a consensual order, first thing is understand self, you know, who you are, what you like, what you dislike. Second thing is you understand others. So what are they like? What are things that, that impacted them? Uh, where did they grow up? What did they grow up watching, doing, whatever? Um, and then the third thing is once you know those two things, then you can start making the adjustments. So if I know, you know, you prefer Kit Kats over Snickers, I can stop bringing you Snickers and and I can just eat up all the Kit Kats, I guess. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or all the Snickers. Um, and we can, you know, we can have a nice little little bag together. But I think that that's one of the things that people miss. Like people go for the grandiose, um, you know, oh, we got to have this 10 point plan yeah. and it's going to take us 18 months. And it's like, yo, why don't you sit down and have a conversation with somebody? Mm-hmm. Ask them something that you don't know or that you can't see. That that that's really good because again, this it, it forces the ownership and accountability on the person itself, and that can a lot of times just be difficult for people because you know you have to. And I'm looking at it from my own perspective. You have to be conscious in your decisions and your choices now. Now that you've seen it, yes. Now that you, now that you have the um 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 chin or whatever you want to call it to go out and do. Now you have to go and actually put words and actions. Well, excuse me, actions behind that. Yeah. So. Even with that piece of it, this is, there's an intentionality piece behind it. Now, I also want to see from from the perspective of like implementing or you know changing the culture of your environment. Does everybody have to do it the same way? I know, I know, and but but and even in answering that, even for those that are minority business owners, is there a thought out there that we don't have to have these types of policies? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah. This is my favorite. This is my favorite question. (laughs) Okay, so I'm gonna try to get this in a concise sense, but I can probably talk like four hours about it. No, this is good. (laughs) Okay, so one, I think, yes, everybody should be thinking about this. But going back to what I mentioned before, because of our experience and our exposure, we're all gonna come at it from a different aspect. Yeah. So I think naturally, right? We'll just do an eye. Um, I don't know how you grew up, but I know you identify as a female, right? And so you might naturally be inclined based on the limited experience or exposure that I know of you right. to hire men or women. I don't know. Yeah. I might be naturally expired or inspired to hire men or women. I typically am going to hire women because my mom was super pro women. And that's just <laughs> what I always think about. Right. Yeah. So like without knowing all of that, it's like certain things that you can do because you can think back to going, man, what did I see all the time? Or what did I not see? And I think that that is super easy for people. Um, for me, as a Black-owned business owner, um, I think about women and people of color first. And even if I got even more microscopic, I think about Black folks and then people of color. Yeah. Uh, or I think about women, Black folks, and then people of color. And so I think about every time that I am um, am going to employ someone or hire a contractor to do something or whatever, that's my natural inclination. Women, Black folks, people of color, then whoever else can do it. 
That's just how I was raised. My mother went to Jackson State. She worked at Jackson State University. I'm from the South. She pushed, always make sure you look here, you know, take care of your people. And so I just have a natural inclination of doing that. But for someone who doesn't come from that aspect, I just always think about if you are serious about making change, how do you not do things that are typical, right? So if we work in a predominantly male industry, how do we not hire another male? Don't even, like, we don't even have to dive into ethnicity or whatever. If you work in a, a area or institution where people are always having degrees, how do we hire someone who might not have the same type of education, right? And so I think that anybody and everybody can make an impact. It's just based on your experience and your exposure and how can you leverage that to do more. I think that's the first thing. The second thing I would say uh, quickly is because we all have a role to play, we have to hopefully uh, respect or understand that everybody's not going to do it the same way that we're going to do it, right? And so I can't be mad at you because you want to hire all women and I want to hire all women, but you don't care what the women look like and I do. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, exactly. yo, we're all doing our part to get there, but because of your experience, there might be a whole other context that I don't understand and vice versa. Um, I think that where I get frustrated, where I think most people get frustrated is when we have the options or the exposure to differences or um, being able to hire more people to advertise in different places, uh, to change job, job descriptions or to uh, post the salary, to just do something different, we don't actually take advantage of it. And that's where I get frustrated because I think there are more people who know what to do than people who don't know what to do. We just yeah. choose the latter. That's good. That that that's really good. And I like the aspect because it there's a there's a, a piece of this where there is this pressure of do it now, this is how you do it, here's the formula, or here's like the system to do it. And then if you're not doing that way, then what you're doing, we invalidate what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, it, right. And, and and I and I like that aspect of us being able to say this is how I'm showing up on my team. This is how I'm showing up in business. This is how I'm showing up in my community in terms, in, in this conversation, in this space. And again, you know, these particular thoughts, you know, like we talked in the beginning about, you know, equal opportunity, affirmative action, right? You know, the concept of diversity, equity, inclusion is not necessarily new, but it's highlighted. You know, now it's just magnified. So then also too, I do want to dive into conflict uh, in inside of the inside of our teams, inside of the workplace, and you know how is it that we can best um, just help to better understand one another? Because you know there's there's you know we hear about the incidents you know where it's like it's magnified because of you know race and ethnicity mm-hmm. and things like that, or you know and and all this other these things that happen. You know, how is it that we can kind of get either common ground, resolution, understanding? Yeah. Is it ignorance? Like, yeah. Yeah, all, all of the above. <laughs> I think, <laughs> oh, man, I think one of the, so forgive me for the redundance, but I think everything that you're asking and for people who are listening to this, it always comes back to those, those three things, right? Mm-hmm. Understanding self, understanding others. And then making the adjustments. And so let's let's think about conflict and how 
how did it, actually let's do this interaction just for a second okay how did you learn how to handle conflict in your household oh good question um so i learned how to handle it through um a couple of ways either you know asking asking questions you sometimes you know i would stay quiet and listen you know those were some of those were those, yep, were, yep. those were some of the things yeah I was okay, like, okay i don't want to i won't say anything out of pocket so i'm like <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and my and my upbringing was very similar one of the things that i remember um as i started doing this work i started kind of like and where did i learn this or how did like how did my mom and my dad teach me so for me, handling conflict claim very, very easy, right? It was like, hey, you got an idea. You want to go to the park. You want to go uh, outside and play with your friends. You want to spend a night over somebody's house. You want to go to the dance. Your idea is here. We're going to put it on the table. I'm here. Your idea is in the middle. And then my parents were on the other side. And you better be able to defend yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Have a plan. Uh, I'm going to ask you a thousand questions. And if I don't like the answers, then you can't go. and i feel like there's a lot of black households right but but the way that i learned how to handle conflict was engaging in that tension and it became normal to me to have that banter back and forth Mm -hmm. with someone who loved me who had my best interests in mind and also wanted to prepare me for the unexpected whenever i went out into the world now you fast forward and you run into people who didn't have that experience yeah now you run into the world and if you had if you had conflict at home or you did not have conflict at home sorry you have no ground to stand on on what to do and how to do so your experience or your exposure is very minimal and so it's expected of you to blow up or to blow things out of proportion, or to over-exaggerate, or to cry, or to run, or whatever the thing is, because you haven't had the competency built up, the reps, the behavior that says, oh, I've seen this before. And so I I, I get into it with people often because I actually like conflict because my dad. I blame it on my mom and dad. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But the issue isn't like a super major thing. It's like, hey... This is how I used to handle conflict. And some people fight when they handle conflict. Some people get loud when they handle conflict. Some people cry when they handle conflict. And can I, from an other perspective, recognize or even appreciate how someone else either has or has not dealt with conflict? If we get down to like the human aspect of it, man, how can I think about how, I'm sorry, how can number two, I understand the other? person Mm -hmm. and then now that i understand they've never dealt with conflict before this is the first time they've had this conversation they've never heard that word whatever what's the adjustment in the in the adaption or adaptation that i can make that's really kind of i know it sounds like it's really simple and it's not but if we were to put it in the words that's kind of how i have engaged with it and sometimes those two collide and you're like, ooh, that was big, <laughs> right? right? But that's because of our experience and our exposure. That's good. And, uh, you know, I, one of the things that I often think about is even the after effects of, of the side effects, so to speak, of conflict and how it's actually not a bad thing. Most people think that it is, uh, you know, that you can't have conflict, that you shouldn't have it. But 
I like the um, of how you phrased it in the beginning because when there is a differences of ideas or thoughts or opinions, you know, if you take a step back to do that understanding piece, you can actually, if you have, you know, with cooler heads and whatnot, you can begin to kind of understand whether it's an idea, you know, or if it's a, a behavior or the way that somebody's answered something or even produced something, whatever the case is, you can begin to see either value in that or like just a different approach. You'd be like, okay, yeah. well, I didn't even think about that. Like, you know, exactly. so, that, so then that shifts the perspective, right? That, that, that shifts the perspective. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. No. 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 I. I. I thought that was that was really key. That was really key. So, you know, as we are, you know, continuing to uh, emerge and develop, and when it comes to technology, something I've been really pressed into is even the way in which we work. Like, and when I'm looking at the work piece, I'm looking at it from the perspective of what you're delivering, like, you know, how, you know, what are the processes that are involved, you know, how is this, how are things getting done? So as we're going into like hybrid teams, all remote, people are making the, the switch. What are you seeing and, and like future trends? Like how does that, how does the space that you're in help to bridge the gap? So, you know, so to speak between team development, operations and things like that. What are you seeing? Where, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think I think the the hybrid world has presented more challenges than um, opportunities than we would like it to. And so, one of the things that I think is going to be key is going to be communication, and um, I would say communicating early and often. I think the more it feels, it feels uh, tedious. It feels sometimes even elementary, but the more we can communicate and make sure we're on the same page, I feel like the less mistakes and the less bumps we will have along the road. I think the other piece of that is recognizing that because we're in a hybrid uh, society now, there are going to be people that are left out and that's just that has to be okay. Some people don't want to be a part of it, right. but because there's going to be that gap the communication is going to be helpful, i.e. someone's in a meeting and instead of just assuming that they're just on their phone and they're texting somebody else, they could be updating the person who's not in a meeting, but from their perspective, right? And allowing that um, personality to come through through the communication, I think is going to be key. So that that would be the main thing that I think about is we got to spend more time, we got to communicate early and often uh, and not be afraid of you know, going back to some stuff that we probably already covered. Yeah, I, I like that a lot about the communicating early and often. And that goes into the piece of, and those that are listening and taking notes about creating a plan for communication. Um, and it sounds very much, a, you know, I, I will get the thing, like, what do you mean, like, I got to write something down again? Yeah, you do. You have to, somebody, you do have to take the time out, whiteboard it out, you know, yeah. you know we, all these different types of tools that we have. But it's so important that you're establishing the type of communication uh, that you want to have, what you're going to communicate, the format, like all of these types of things. Because as you just said, there's an aspect to this where it's full remote, it's hybrid, people are going to be on retreats, all these different things that happen, that it's so important that we're understanding where is the best place centralized that we could get the communication that we can get it out fast quick and that, that people aren't uh missing a beaten step um yeah so no i love everything that you said yeah. communicate early and often uh so 
in terms of, you know, you, you talked in the beginning about creating a safe space. We say it, we believe we we can do it. Oftentimes it's like, mm, I don't really know all about that. <laughs> but you just in your your business and the, in the work that you do as a whole, you're creating a, a, a space, even a physical space, right? Um, can we yep. talk a bit about this project and how instrumental it is? Um, because yeah, I, I just think- Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for giving me uh, that platform. So uh, for those of you who are listening, I am in the process of purchasing a commercial real estate building that is 68,000 square feet. It's a, it's, a, it's a big warehouse. And currently in it right now are 11 tenants. Only one is a person of color uh, and none are women-owned businesses. And so my hope is over the course of three to five years to turn over those leases into 51% owned by women and people of color. Again, going back to my process, right? My thinking of here's, you know, I think about women, I think about black folks, and I think about people of color. Um, and the opportunity for those business owners to lease some, um, some square footage space from someone who looks like them. And so I live in a community that has been uh, predominantly African-American since the 60s and 50s and 60s. Um, but most of the commercial real estate that is owned is 95, if not higher, percent is owned by white men. And so being able to change that and really think about the economic shift, uh, the wealth redistribution shift and how folks from the community can see can go, to, can have a place for us that's also owned by us. So that's one of the first things. The other piece of it is um, in that space, I'm going to occupy um, two of the spaces. One is going to be a content creation studio um, that will be some, focused around media, so podcasts, videography, um, hopefully some gaming opportunities in there too, depending on how much money I want to spend. Um, <laughs> and then the other piece is going to be an event space um, that will be more of a community gathering um, opportunity. So in inside my community, there are no really nice event spaces that are strictly for that outside of churches and community centers. And so I want folks to have a space uh, for their wedding showers, their quinceaneras, their birthday parties, but also for the conferences and the galas and the corporate training. So having a space that's located in the community uh, that is owned by somebody from community that also will fund and function for folks in community. That's really what I'm working on. Um, and in the ecosystem, right? I think in a business term, we think about uh, business units, but the ecosystem is all centered around like, okay, if we can acquire a space, uh, if I, if my uh, reputation is always thinking about these groups of people first, then how do you employ those folks? There are, somebody's got to manage the building. Somebody's got to clean the space. Somebody's got to schedule stuff, right? And so if I have an event space, I'm going to need an event planner. Well, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that like to plan events. I don't. So I'm going to hire somebody. There's somebody that does media and podcasts and all that kind of engineering and production stuff. I don't. So I want to be able to create a space not only where people can work, but also people can be trained and learn how to do it for themselves. So we teach people how to fish and not just um, keep you know feeding them. So I want to be able to do both, create an opportunity to serve people and also to um, allow people to be served so that they can go feed their own families. That's fantastic. I, I, I love that a lot. There's a 
Uh, again, our word, one of our words, intentionality behind that. There's vision. Um, and this is most definitely going to be groundbreaking um, for you and your community. And so, and we'll have the link in the in the show notes as well about where people can just learn more about it and support. Um, but, you know, what, what are you looking at timeline-wise um, for, for this project? Yeah. 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 So at the time of this recording, I have a meeting in two days that will hopefully finalize everything oh jesus help me Um, (laughs) so i'm hoping by the time people listen to this things will be finalized Um, and then it's gonna take a full year of build out to get everything in there um you know from remodeling and construction and supply and demand is still crazy but my hope is by the end of next summer at the latest or a year from now that we will be finished i'm gonna throw a big old party and uh, I'm, I'm gonna invite you guys, don't worry. And literally wanna be able to celebrate the community about this thing. Again, that's for community. So I wanna be able to host my own events. I want people to fly in. Um, but I want people to know like the everything that's from the contractors, the people that are gonna do the roof, the painting, like it's, it's going to be centered intentionality around creating jobs and putting money back into those black and brown women owned businesses. I mean, this is going to be phenomenal. This is exciting. Uh, I can't wait for it. Uh, I can't wait to go to the celebration and party in person. It's just going to be good. It's just going to be phenomenal. It's going to be phenomenal. Jesse, as we wrap up, um, and perhaps it's, you know, going back to some of the earlier points, but let's let's just leave um, the listeners just with a few words in terms of next steps. You know, they're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion. They want to know how to start or even refining their thought process around next steps um, for their teams and how they communicate. What are some what are some tips that you have? Yeah, I'll give a couple. So uh, one, I think people should always just do what they can with what they have first then go get what you need right and so there are people who are here uh, listening and you're like oh we need this we need that we need this yeah you probably do but right now you got humans you got people you got talented individuals you got not so talented individuals work with what you have and then as you continue to grow i think you will find the tools and continue to find the people that you can add to the mix. Um, the second one is um, a motto that I live by. You only can go as far as you're willing to grow. And so yeah, you got to be willing to do your own work. You got to be willing to do your own research. Um, and I mean, your work on yourself, right? So going back to those three points, understand yourself, understand others, then make the necessary adjustments and adapt. I'm. It makes me so happy when I can tell people like what drives me crazy because I've done the, the homework and knowing like, yeah. oh, yo, stop doing that, please. That's going to that's, that's gonna get me there. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, and then I would say the last thing, um, I mentioned, you know, my values, right? Integrity, transparency, relationship. The more that I have learned about me, right? So that number one, understand who you are. The more I have found things that are in alignment with my values, right? And so... And because I'm doing things that are in alignment with my values, they come easy. Like having conversations, creating content, um, being able to literally purchase a, a building that it's, I won't say it's super easy, right? But it's a lot easier because I've done some other things that have been really, really hard 
And this is all in alignment with my values. Therefore, it doesn't feel like work. And so I would just encourage folks to do that. Like the more you continue to understand yourself, um, you start to naturally understand others and you make those adjustments. But if you continue to understand yourself and self and continue to self-assess, I think you start to find things that are in alignment with your values, which ultimately make things a lot easier than everybody else. That's beautiful. I love it. And again, we are going to have Jesse Ross's information in the show notes so that you can just keep up with him on social media, look at his website, uh, look at the uh, services that he has, and of course, uh, the, the project that he has uh, going on. So this has been another edition of Conversations with Ask Ash. We are in the communication breakdown season, and it's a wrap, y'all. Thank you so much, Jesse, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Ask Ash. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and follow Ashley on social media at Ashley Schuler underscore. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-H-U-L-E-R underscore.